0: is this, and it's a very practical book. So let's pray tonight that God's word would just open our hearts, that we would just, you know, have the light of God's love shine in our lives, and that we would learn some real practical things tonight that will help us avoid some of life's major pitfalls, all right? So Lord, I thank you tonight for my brothers and sisters that are here, and others that have joined us, Lord. I just, I'm so excited, and I know that you are, you're more excited than I am. And you look at each of our lives and you see the challenges that are before us. Many of us have stumbled into some of the pitfalls we're going to discuss tonight. But Father, you want to help us out of them. You want to put us on a beautiful path, a path that's illuminated, a path of wisdom, a path that will bring uh, personal honor to our lives, bring success into our lives. Um, not that, you know, in the world's eyes, we may not, they may not consider us successful, but in your eyes, we are a success story. Lord, that you can transform the broken, fragmented places of our souls. You can heal broken relationships. You can provide for us financially. You can help us, uh, Lord, in our relationship with you. And Father, you can help us live a vibrant, whole life. And I thank you for that, Father. And I pray tonight as we hear your word, may it just come alive inside of us. May you speak right into our innermost being. May we leave tonight with actual Strategies how we can live an effective life, and we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I was uh, looking at an article by Stop Trio in uh, McLean's magazine, dated April 2017. It's still relevant, it's actually maybe as relevant now as it's ever been. And he wrote an article entitled Drowning in Debt The New Normal in Canada. And how many know that you know, our governments are drowning in debt and people are drowning in debt today, probably at a level we've never been there before. And, and how many would like to get out of financial difficulties? Anybody here up for that? We're gonna talk about how to do that. I, I want to have you, give you a plan tonight how you can succeed in that area. And he begins by sharing a number of examples of people really struggling with debt. And the first one he's talking about is an accountant who had a multiple line of credit several maxed out credit cards, a big mortgage, a significant home equity lo- line of credit, and leasing two luxury vehicles. Now, how many are getting the idea that this person's probably spending more than they're making? And when you do that, it gets you into trouble all the time. So another person he mentions is a school teacher who has eight payday loans. And you go, what's a payday loan? A payday loan is when you can't make it and you have to go borrow money to make it to the end of the month. And this person had eight outstanding loans in that realm. And they were just acquiring more and more debt as they went along. And then there was the story of a senior financial analyst with a chartered bank who had seven credit cards, all carrying high balances. And you know, if you know what they call credit cards, their interest levels are so high, it's incredible. And so, you know, you think, okay, these are the exceptions. Actually, Scott was sharing, you know, they, they're kind of working with people trying to help them or some of this agency he was interviewing trying to help people out of their credit problems. And he said the worst uh, credit situation he saw was, you know how in the, when you have a credit card, if you look down at the bottom in little fine print is that if you pay the minimum balance, this is how long it's gonna take you to pay it off. Anybody ever seen that little clause? This one said that this person would have to... You know, if they paid the minimum of their debt, they would have to spend 330 years and six months to pay off their debt. You know, I'm just going, you know, who's going to live 330 years, right? So what it says to me is that people are acquiring credit so easily. As a matter of fact, when you walk into most department stores now, and, and I, I'm amazed by this, you know, you walk in a store and there's an item for $200 and they go, 12 easy payments, You know, I'm thinking to myself, it's only 200 bucks. But you know what? People now, they're at a stage in life is where we just go, I'm just gonna buy this because I need it right now and I can't afford it. And so I can make these installation payments. I was chatting with someone in our uh, church family here this morning after I shared this message. And they said, yeah, they knew one person that literally... Had you know five thousand dollars worth of credit payments, just the minimum credit payments because of all of the installation things that they were involved in you know they, their life was just a financial mess, and so this is not the the Exception. This is actually becoming the rule in our country. So many people are struggling with financial problems. And as Scott puts out, most clients in significant debt trouble today would not be in those situations had they simply funded their lives by cash flow instead of credit. And what that really means is, is that if you had no credit, you have to live within your means. How many know that? And that's the way society was functioning for a long time. I'm so thankful when I started out, that, you know, credit was not available. And so you had to live within your means. You were forced to discipline yourself and you had to live based on what you had, not on what you wanted. And so now this culture has really opened the doors to credit and people now are spending at a rate that's far greater than what they're earning And what it eventually produces is tremendous financial pressure and great emotional angst. It creates havoc in uh, marriages and relationships. It's one of the big problems that people have, you know, they're bickering and fighting over at home because of the way they're spending their resources. So I think it's always interesting that one of the signs of highly successful people, and you can almost tell at the very beginning they're going to do this because one of the things that highly successful people have in common is they're able to defer gratification. And what that means is they're able to wait to receive something they desire. And the people who can't you know, wait are the ones who always get into trouble. And we could t- I could go through every single situation in the Bible and show you that there is a good time for all the wonderful things that all of us would like to have, but there's a time for all of these things. But many of us are jumping the queue, getting ahead of the game, you know, and what happens then is we get ourselves into all kinds of trouble, and especially in this realm of finances. Now, Proverbs... Oh, I just put this little statement down. I keep forgetting this. So my, my little proverb to you is don't spend what you don't have, okay? That, you should write that one down. If you don't have it, don't buy it. You can't afford it. But that's not how we think today. We just go, oh, I'll just put it on my card. And, but we have to eventually pay for that. And I, and I think a lot of people today are disconnected with money and how it works. And I think a lot of people just assume the government is the one that, you know, they'll pay for it. And we don't understand that the government is just people that we're electing in leadership who are actually taking the money that we earn and are spending it as they see fit. And if they're spending more than what they can afford, they're borrowing money. And so a lot of you know, people think, well, let's let the government give us this and let, let, let the government give us that. And we don't understand that there's an end to all of it. See, I was in uh, Greece A number of years ago in Athens, when Athens was in a huge financial crisis, some of you might have been aware of that, and they were rioting and everything else, and the reason why people were rioting in Greece was the government was now told by the International Monetary Fund that they were on an astringency program. They could no longer fund most of the things that they were doing there, and so people were rioting because they could not grasp the idea that they didn't have the money. The government did not have the money. Isn't that an amazing thought? And so when you get to that stage, then you move into things like hyperinflation, and uh, then, then you're in all kinds of trouble. And some of these uh, third world countries get to that stage where they, you know, where they have absolutely nothing. And, uh, but we've never lived in that time, so we don't underst- grasp these concepts. Well, the book of Proverbs is actually a very practical book, and it's teaching us how to make prudent financial and relationship decisions. And I like that, and that's why I've entitled the message Uh, today, A Prudent Life, not quite as fancy as last week's uh, message called The Fatal Attraction, but you know, I can't always come up with great titles, right? I'm just not that creative. But you know, as you're going to see, the prudent life makes a lot of sense because when we read the book of Proverbs, it starts out this way in chapter one. Just remind us it says, The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, forgiving prudence, verse 4, to those who are simple. And I just put in brackets, it just doesn't mean that, you know, your elevator isn't hitting the top floor. What it's talking about is our inexperience. A lot of us just don't have the experience and if you grew up in a dysfunctional home you're at a huge disadvantage because maybe people haven't sat you down and explained to you how how things work in life and uh, if you've had that what a blessing it is to have parents who sat you down and said hey this is the way you have to discipline yourself this is the way you need to conduct yourself in life this is how you're going to be successful in life but most of us didn't get that kind of instruction isn't that right and so we kind of made a lot of mistakes in the journey. And I've made some of those myself. And so I love the Bible in that it gives us wisdom and understanding of how to live a successful life. And so that's my job. You know, I've, I've, I've fallen into some of these pits. So I'm gonna be able to explain to you how do you get out of them and allow God to do an amazing work of helping you live a powerfully successful life. Not in the eyes of the society, but before Almighty God and I think that's the most important way. So, what is prudence? Prudence is the ability to exercise sound judgment in practical matters. It means to be cautious in conduct, sensible and not rash. How many know that a lot of us tend to be too spontaneous and most advertisers recognize that most human beings are emotional spenders? Anybody know that? And the advertisement industry preys on that and so a lot of us need to receive this kind of instruction in our life. Prudence comes from a Latin, it comes from the Latin, which means the ability to see ahead. And so people who are prudent are not people who are just in the moment. They're the people who actually look farther down the road and see what is this decision gonna do down here. And eventually, all of our lives are consequences to either good good or bad decisions. And so what I want to do tonight is help us make good decisions. And even though we've maybe in the past made bad ones, we can actually change that. Say, God, forgive me. Help me. Help me to make good decisions so I can actually receive the fruit of those good decisions in the days ahead. It's also the ability to govern and discipline ourselves by the use of good judgment. So it's a lot about self-control. It's a lot about God's Spirit controlling us to make wise choices in our lives. So I want to take a look at three areas in our lives in chapter 6 that we need to live or act wisely or prudently, you know, as the Scriptures are teaching us here. So chapter 6 also talks about the pitfall of adultery. That starts in the 20s, but I'm not gonna go there. I just talked about it last week. Some of you take a sigh of relief. But you're not getting off the hook because there's three other significant areas here we're gonna find in the first 19 verses of Proverbs 6 that we're gonna address tonight. And really the first area where prudence is needed in our lives is in the area of our finances. That's an important area. You go, Pastor, you're amazing. How can you preach on sex one week and finances on the other? You know, it's like going through a gauntlet. I'm messing with all of you, right? Talking about all these sensitive topics. But it's not me, it's the word of God. It's what God wants to do to help us in the very uh, significant areas in our lives. And what we're about to discover is that we're gonna try and avoid being in a position where we are either needing a loan or actually giving a loan, okay? So it's gonna be about money right now. And there's a wise saying that comes from Proverbs that literally we've taken from these verses and we kinda summarize it more of a modern proverb that says neither a lender nor a borrower be. Now you may want to write that down and I'm going to explain exactly what we mean by this. Neither a lender nor a borrower be. How many think it'd be awesome in life never have to borrow money. You just never have to do it. How many think that's pretty freeing? You just have it. You don't have to borrow. You know? On the other side, this is not a prohibition. We'll see that. God's not saying he's forbidding us from doing this, but we I think that we have to have some caution when we're lending money, okay? Now, I I understand we can be in business and we use investments and all the rest of that, but I'm gonna speak primarily to us on our personal level here. You know, I know that there's a tremendous simplicity in life when we, tremendous, sorry, freedom in life when we live a simpler life. You know, the more things you have, the more the things you serve. I don't know if you realize that. Life becomes more complicated the more things you possess. Because eventually they start possessing you. It was, it's so ironic. Yesterday, you know, I noticed my my door handle fell apart on Sunday, uh, Friday night. And Mark was over it. And we're trying to fix this thing. And we fixed it, but it we didn't really fix it, and so the next morning, it was even worse, so I get up in the morning, and I have so much to do, and I want to finish this message, you know, and I got to mess with the door, and I have a very complicated handle, and I'll be honest with you, I am not the most mechanically oriented person, I probably could have done it, but it would have took me three or four hours, and I didn't have three or four hours, so bless Roger, I phoned him up, and I said, Roger, I know you're a handy guy, can you come over here, and, and help me with this door, and he came over and fixed it for me, and I paid him for it, that was great, I would, it, it was a blessing to me, Roger. Thank you for doing that. And it really helped me out. But I'm gonna just say this, that the more things you have, the more things can go wrong. And the more time you're investing in the things you possess. And so one of the things that we can learn in life is a lot of the things we have we didn't really need. We could actually, if we're not gonna use it a lot, you know, renting it is a lot cheaper. And I would also suggest that a lot of times you could secure things at a secondhand store for a fraction of the price that a brand new thing uh, costs. I remember one of my pastoral friends, they got in trouble in their church. People were critical of him and his wife and their kids because they always dressed in designer clothes. Little did they know that his wife was a great shopper. She always bought all their clothes at the secondhand store for a fraction of the price, you know. But so we make all kinds of judgments about, you know, people and what they're doing. And a lot of times we look at people and we may be envying them. We have no idea what's really going on in their lives. Isn't that the truth? So Let's not do that. Let's not look around and see what people have or don't have because sometimes the people that might have the most, they might have the greatest financial pressure and stress in their life because it's all you know, on credit and we don't even realize that. Isn't that true? So let's not go down that track. Now, I think it's kind of amazing how much stuff we accumulate over time and it ends up being discarded or just taking up a lot of space. Anybody here, you've got stuff in your garage that you haven't touched for a while. See, I got my hand up. Anybody else besides me that's probably got a few things that you're not using and it's just sitting there and when you think about it, you just go, man, you know, we've spent a lot of money over time on these things and so I wanna just encourage us with this little line that might help us when we're about to buy something and it's just simply do I really need this? Now I have a real practical wife and she always, over the years she's been really great, she goes, really, do we really need this? And made me rethink some things and I said, we probably don't. And if you don't really need it, why spend money on it, right? It's getting real quiet in here. You know, this is a great message to preach before Christmas, I can see that. Here in our text, (laughs) We're not just talking about spending or taking on debt, but also taking on someone else's debt. Let's take a look here at Proverbs 6. Can you look in your Bible? We're going to look at the first 19 verses. Beginning in verse 1. My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, or if you've shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you've been trapped by what you have said ensnared by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, to free yourself since you've fallen into your neighbor's hands. Go to the point of exhaustion. Give your neighbor no rest. Allow no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the snare of the fowler. What's he really saying? He's saying, listen, if you're in debt or if you've put up security, he said, do everything you can to get out of it. Isn't that what you're hearing? And he says, what's happening is it's like, you have to see this, like you're trapped, just like these animals are being trapped. You're in a trap. And a lot of us today are in a financial trap. You now I want you to notice, this is not a forbidden practice. Okay, that's the Great Wall of China if you don't know what that is. You know, and, and they were trying to keep people out. This is not saying that this is, you know, a prohibition. You can't do this at all. But do we need to exercise great caution when we take debt. Because I know most of us probably can't walk up to a house and going, yeah, I'll take that house and give me the checkbook and I'll just write it out a check for the house, right? Most of us probably didn't do that. Anybody else? It's, maybe some of you are so wealthy you could just walk up and say, oh, yeah, I like that house. How much is it? Oh, yeah, I'll just give me the checkbook. let write a check for it. Most of us probably have to take out a mortgage. So I understand that we have to do certain things like that. But sometimes we end up buying more of a house than we need, and it costs more than we can afford. Anybody know other people have done that? And then they're, they're house poor, and they're in a lot of stress because they've bought too much of a house. It's getting quiet in here. Uh, you know, I, I know that this, this is a topic that really uh, needs to be spoken, but not everybody's going to jump for joy and go, Pastor, this is such a blessed sermon. But I'm hoping at the end you're going to go, I learned something, and I'm going to make wise choices. In Proverbs 11:15, 15, it, sta- it says that when a person actually cosigns for someone else, they're probably going to suffer for it. Listen to what it says. He who up- puts up security for another will surely suffer. But whoever refuses to strike hands and pledge is safe. What's he saying? He's saying, generally speaking, this is not a good idea. And unless you're prepared to pay for that loan, you better not co-sign for it, okay? Because it's gonna have an impact in your life. Uh, Verse, chapter 17 of Proverbs and verse 18. One who has no sense shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for another. In other words, this is not a smart idea. That's what he's telling us. This is not bright. This is not real prudence. This is not wisdom. So, but we have a qualifier. Look at verse 22 uh, and verse 26, chapter 22. Do not be one who shakes hands and pledge or puts up security for debts. If you lack the means to pay, your very bed will be snatched from under you. In other words, you know, sometimes we leverage money, but we actually overextend ourselves and we can lose everything we have. And that's a great problem in our lives and people do that all the time and that's why people end up in bankruptcy they just overextended themselves or you know what when we co-sign for something we have to figure out we could be buying this we need to understand that this is something that's very uh, significant in our lives you know people often mean well and say hey listen if you lend me the money I'll pay you back you know what happens usually when you lend people money it affects your relationship anybody know that I remember talking to someone from our church, and they said, you know, it was so annoying. One of my nephews asked me for money, and they were really hard-pressed, and I gave him the money, and, you know, later on, he said, when they got into money, they started spending their money on other things rather than repaying their loan, and how many know that creates a lot of bad feeling in relationships, so, you know, I try to stay away from that kind of stuff, and I think... The idea is, when someone is asking you for money and you're thinking about giving them a loan, I think you have to say to yourself, I have to be prepared to give this to them. So if you're gonna co-side for, let's say, your children, you must be thinking, okay, if they can't make it, I have to bail them out. I've done this, it's coming back on me. And so uh, this practice, I think, often leads to great financial as well as relational losses in our lives. Dr. Longman says it this way, if people have needs, give them what they need. I love that. You know, So often people have come up to me and say, you know, Pastor, you know, I just need a little bit of money. Can the church lend me some money? I'll pay it back. And I go, whoa, no, 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 no. We don't do that here. What we do is we give you the money in a benevolence program. We go, why do we give people money here? Because you know what will happen if we lend you the money and you can't afford to pay it back? You'll stop, you'll stop coming to church. Because you'll feel embarrassed, you know? And how many notice this that when you owe somebody money and you're struggling to pay them back, you want to avoid that person? Isn't that interesting? So that's why I'm saying this is a poor idea. It affects your relationships with people. So I think we have to change the way we think about it. So I put down, unless you're happy to pay for it, don't do it. It usually destroys relationships. Anybody picking up on this? Are we learning something? I'm hoping. Borrowers, I say, often avoid the one they borrow from. So, you know what's really sad? This actually happened on a gigantic scale in the Middle Ages. In Europe... Christians in the institutional church were taught they couldn't charge interest. So how many know people aren't going to lend you money if they can't make any interest on it? So what did they do? They decided, well, we can't charge interest. So the people that needed money then went to people outside of the Christian realm, and they went to Jewish people. And the Jewish people became the money lenders or the bankers in the Middle Ages. Now, I'm looking at this, I'm going, Proverbs is a Jewish book. And it kind of warns against this stuff because it does create problems. And how many know that eventually when people owe a lot of money to somebody, they usually begin to resent that person? Does anybody know that's true? And a lot of the persecution that happened to the Jews in the Middle Ages has nothing to do with race or religion. It had all to do with economics because they were owing these people a lot of money. And so therefore they just began to despise them and eventually persecute them. And a lot of them were killed and their lands were taken because these other people owed the money. Isn't that sad? It was not driven by economics. So I'm saying to us, pay close attention to all of this stuff. So the advice of the wisdom sages is to free ourselves from poor financial decisions. So here's what I'm going to say to us tonight. Application number one. If we are in debt, we need to get out of it. Okay? So you say, how do you do that, Pastor? You get a budget out, you simplify your living, you start finding money that you actually are not gonna spend, and you're gonna pay back the smallest level of debt you have right now. So if you have three or four levels of debt, take the smallest balance, pay that one off, okay? And then you just keep doing that till you pay your debts off. And one day, you will be free from debt. How many like this idea? So this is a lot better than going to the corner store and buying a lotto ticket. And that's how a lot of people think they're going to get out of their debt. I'm going to win it big someday, and the reality is most people, that doesn't pan out for them. They're spending money in the wrong spot. Take the money you're going to spend on lotto tickets and begin to pay off your debt. Okay? Application number one. I told you it's going to be a real practical sermon. Let's go to number two, where prudence is needed in relationship to activity. And this is really fascinating to me. As you keep reading, the next area is the area of not being lazy. You've never heard a sermon on laziness before. We're going to talk about that tonight. It says here, prudent people are not lazy people. They are diligent. They plan for the future. Laziness is not only a lack of wisdom or prudence, but as David Hubbard says, Laziness is a breach of love. I've never heard this said before, but as I meditated, I said, wow, this is powerful. And why is it that? Because it refuses to carry its own weight, let alone help with the loads of the rest of us who plod along supporting our young, our aged, and our infirmed. We have no surplus energy to carry those who can walk and will not. Well, that's, What is he saying? He's saying, listen, you know what? I think we have to help people who are unable to help themselves but we shouldn't be helping people who are unwilling to help themselves. How many see the distinct difference? There are some people who are able to do something, but they're not doing it. When we help people who are able to help themselves, we are enablers. And I'm going to tell you right now, this culture today is an enabling culture. We have an entitlement thinking, and many of our young people are growing up in a culture that they just think that it's owed to them. Folks, that was never the way it was, and believe me, if we go back a, little, a few years, you'll find out how difficult it was financially, but we th- all have this thinking, people shouldn't have to lack anything. Let me tell you something, we are so affluent in this culture, it's unbelievable compared to other cultures. First of all, he starts out by saying we need to learn the lesson of industry from the ant. Now think about how humbling this is. A human being has to go down there and learn from this little insect who, by the way, I didn't, how many saw any ants today? Anybody see any ants today? Is there any ants out today? I don't think so. You know why? They were busy this summer. They worked all summer long storing up food because they knew this was gonna happen. It was gonna snow and they could not supply their needs. And I can't even imagine those little guys walking around right now how cold it is. You know, that would be tough, right? Okay, listen to what it says in verse, uh, verse six. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. I don't know, how many say that's a really unflattering term? I don't know if you want to be known as a sluggard. You know, I've always thought that's one term I want to avoid in my life, you know. I don't want to be noted for my laziness. You know, consider its ways and be wise. No commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet it stores its provision in summer, gathers its food at harvest. The point of the illustration is to point out that the ant diligently works to store away food for the coming winter. That's the point. Instinctually, it's built into this little insect that they're going to make provision for the time ahead. The challenge is to work with diligence and forethought. Look at verse 9. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? (laughs) I love that term, right? When will you get up from your sleep? You know... A little later on in Proverbs, it says the sluggard says, "I can't go outside. There's a lion out there. It's dangerous outside." You know, how, how many know lazy people always find a reason for why they're not going to do what they should be doing? Do you know that's true? Well, look at the weather. It's going to turn bad. I better not do it today. We have all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't do. We always like to put off things, and that's what the sluggard is doing here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity. Like an armed man. In other words, it'll be just like you've been robbed and everything taken from you. It'll just come on you one day because you've not made provision for the future. You're going to suffer in the future. We need to have forethought about our tomorrow. Now, I recognize that there are lazy people who've inherited what they possess, but those who refuse or who are unwilling to work will find themselves usually without the means to sustain sustain life. And you know what they do? They usually come to a person like me and you and say, you guys are Christians, you need to help us. Right? Have you ever heard that line? I've heard that line so many times from people. I'm going. But I'm going to give you a line back. You're going to love this line. Here in our text, it states that a lazy person can expect scarcity in their life. So you can quote this verse. Hey, if you're lazy, look what this is what happens, you know. Nobody wants to be told that. But here's what I love. You know the Apostle Paul is one of my heroes. I'm named after him. I like him. You know, he's a good guy. And he's talking to the church at Thessalonica. And he says this to them. uh, Verse, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7. Listen what he says. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. So Paul says, listen, I've been modeling something for you. We were not idle when we were with you. In other words, you notice we were busy. We weren't lazy. He said, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. Paul was a tent maker. On the contrary, we worked night and day. How many go, whoa, labor union, where are you? I mean, he's putting in a lot of time. That means he was working in the evening, he was working in the daytime. Do you know, I know why people don't want to be ministers, Mark. They don't want the hours. You know, you and I work night and day. It's the truth. If you look at my calendar, I'm out many times, four nights, Mark's out four nights. We're out, I've been out five or six nights in a row sometimes, plus my day hours. Yeah, there's a lot of work, guys. You don't know that. I know a lot of people think pastors only work on Sunday. <laughs> I know. I've been told that. Okay. But he says we we work night and day, laboring and toiling so that you would not we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to such help. But in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. In other words, we're showing you how to be industrious. And then he says this in verse 10. Here's the verse you need to give the person who says to you, you know, that is unwilling to work. This is the perfect verse for them. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who's unwilling to work shall not eat. Now let me tell you something, if people now were not unwilling to work and weren't eating, it would probably motivate them to do something. How many think that might help them get moving? You see, but you know when you keep enabling people, they're never gonna learn this lesson. They're just gonna keep being lazy and let some of the rest of us carry them, right? That's what they want. They don't wanna do the work. But throughout the Bible, there's another picture that we need to understand. Listen to what it says here in Proverbs 28, 27. It says, those who give to the poor will lack nothing. So in other words, are there are people out there who are unable to work. How I many know oh, that's true. Maybe there's a disability. Maybe they're elderly. Maybe they're physically impaired. Maybe they're even mentally challenged. They just can't function straight. They can't, it's really hard for them. Even, even the most menial job is difficult for them. And then there are you know, children who are victims of bad situations. You know, for these people, they need help. And God says, don't be deaf to their cry. Don't close your eyes to them and receive many curses. But then I like this next verse in Proverbs 19:17. He says, whoever's kind to the poor lends to the Lord. Hey, if you want to lend money to somebody, lend it to God. How many think he's probably very trustworthy and the Bible says that God will not be a debtor to anyone? He's going to make sure he repays his debt. So if you're giving to the poor, God says, look, I'm gonna reward them for what they have done. So God will make sure that you are reimbursed for your troubles. Now, I'm not necessarily saying he's gonna reimburse you financially, but I'll tell you, God's gonna help you in your life. There's a reward for helping the poor. And, uh, you know, I always think it's interesting, you know, if you're a generous person, God's gonna make sure that you have the resources to continue to be generous. That's what I've kind of noticed. One of my favorite books in the Bible is a New Testament book called the book of James. Why do you like that book, Pastor? It's wisdom literature. James is actually filled with this wisdom literature. And here's a verse I love. James chapter 1, verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So two things. One, I live a morally clean life. And number two, I have compassion for people who are orphans and widows. In other words, I see the needs of these people and I'm not indifferent to their plight. Now, you know, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. And, you know, a lot of times we have, you know, people say, we have poverty in Canada. I say, yeah, we do. And I'm not going to negate that. I'll never mar- minimize or marginalize that. But there's a lot of things in Canada that can help people be sustained. Isn't that true? We've got food banks, and our church is great. We're constantly giving food to people, and we've helped people financially. Our Benevolence Fund is, is constantly working here, helping people both in our church and beyond our church. But let me just say this. When you travel to other parts of the world, then you experience real poverty. And our missions committee, you know, we have a budget. We give 10% of everything we receive to missions. And one of the things they do is they pay for me to go to the mission field so that I can actually go and teach and help leaders there. And you say, well, is that a good thing to do? And the answer is, of course it is. Because now you're sent. I'm actually, you don't know this, but I'm a gift by God to you. So is Mark. Pastors and leaders, spiritual leaders are gifts to the church. And so you're lending your gift to another part of the world. And that encourages them that they don't feel forgotten. And so I've traveled to parts of the world where the church is being persecuted, and it's affected my thinking. Well, I've been to India now 12 times in the last 16 years. That's quite a bit, teaching leaders there. But when I was there, Dr. Thomas, who's the leader of that organization, one day says, You know, we're going to go dedicate a plot of ground to build an orphanage. And while I was there, it was really amazing what started happening. You know, Because while I was standing there and we are dedicating this plot of ground and I was praying with them and doing things, I felt like God spoke into my spirit. Why can't some of the richest people in the world help some of the poorest people in the world with their orphans? How many think that's an amazing statement? Just kind of filled my mind. And I came home and I said to our leaders, I didn't say God told me, I just said, guys, I had a thought when I was in India. I said, this thought came to my mind while we are dedicating the orphanage and, and, uh, you know, it just struck me with such impact. you think God was speaking to me? And immediately our leader said, yeah, God spoke to you, Pastor. And when I went to our annual meeting, our business meeting, we have one of those. Some people think it's just business. I think it's spiritual. How you spend your money is spiritual. I shared this thought with them. I shared that, you know, I felt like God wanted us to help them build this orphanage, that our church was capable of doing it, and that God was going to bless us as a congregation for helping these poor people build, help their orphans. And our church family at that meeting said, Pastor, we know God spoke to you. And the Spirit of God put it in everyone's heart to give to this project. And in that year, our church gave the equivalency of 200,000 U.S. dollars just for this project. And you know what I did, I came before the church like this one Sunday and mentioned it, and I never spoke about it again. And within 12 months, we had raised the entire amount of money and built the orphanage. That was 12 years ago. And our church since then has been you know, sponsoring orphans. We've been caring for orphans. You know what I love about it? We're not just giving, and you know, you know the money's not being used for television, it's not being used for administration. Every dollar that you and I give to this orphanage ministry goes right to the orphans. And so right now, there's 107 orphans there, and our church is sponsoring 87 of them. So I'm going, this is amazing, I'm so proud of you guys. But how many go, there's a difference there, a pastor of 20 orphans. So I said to Patty, look, I'm going to ask the church to consider in 2020 giving $40 a month. And with that $40, what you're actually doing is feeding, clothing, and educating and sheltering them. It's powerful. And I thought to myself, I can't can't take care of a child in Canada for $40 a month, but you can do that in India. And I'll tell you, it's so beautiful, because I get to go and see what's going on. And uh, if you want to see what it looks like, on the wall there, there's a TV set uh, just on the way at the back of the church there, and it's all about missions, and you can see all the pictures of the orphanage there. And it's powerful. Now we have some of these young people who are starting to graduate from high school. One wants to be a doctor, and we're going to help him be a doctor, and there's another one... You know, the number of them now want to be ministers. Well, we already have that set up for them that they can go into the ministry. It is so beautiful to see what God is doing in their lives. And so I'm going to ask you to think about it. This is not a rash decision. Go home, pray about it, talk to your spouse. And then, you know, if you're interested in doing it, contact Kathy, our bookkeeper. and you'll, you'll They'll just set it up and... You know, every month, I know, because I've been doing it for 10 years now. And I said to Patty, I want to elevate how much we're giving. We've done that before, but I'm going to do it again because I don't want to see one child not taken care of. And so last time we were there, you don't know this, but I bring extra money, and when I see a need, I just take care of it. I just cannot see these beautiful young people go without. That's just, you know, I'm messed up, but I like it. And uh, it's good. It's encouraging. It's encouraging. Okay, so the third area where prudence is needed is in our character. Godly character leads to godly behavior. Ungodly character leads to wicked behavior. And here we see how a corrupt character affects the entirety of our lives. Look at verse 12. You know, first of all, we looked in the first six verses, you know, don't, com- don't give in to having loans or surety, S-U-R-E-T-Y. Okay, now he's saying don't be a sluggard. Okay, now he's saying, don't be a scoundrel, basically. You know, don't do this. You know, think about what you're be- what's happening. It says, the scoundrel goes about with a corrupt mouth who winks maliciously with his eyes, signals with his feet, motions with his fingers, plots evil with deceit in his heart. He's always stirring up conflict. So when our hearts are wrong, our lives are wrong, and all our relationships go sideways. That's the way it works. And so, you know, How many know the problem with doing the wrong thing is you can become what you're doing? And I'll give you an example. If you keep lying, what do you become? A liar, right? If you keep committing adultery, what do you become? An adulterer. You see, the problem with sinning is you become what you sin. That's the problem. It distorts you as a person. And you know, I love the scriptures because God's saying, listen, I don't want you to be there. I want to lift you out of that. I want to break the chains. I want to set you free. I want to put you on this path of wisdom so you don't have to be stumbling in the darkness. You know, And really what it is is we're all seeking to have our needs met, but so often we do it in an illegitimate way and it brings brokenness and hurt and heartache into our lives. That's why we need to be prudent. We need to have forethought. There's a timing. And there's a right time for everything. How many know that if you have to save up your money to purchase? something, you're going to think twice about what you're spending. How many go, that's true, right? How many say that's going to be the truth? So I'm going to challenge you in that area. Before you spend, think twice about it, and rather than putting it on credit, save up for it. It's going to change how you start spending your money. Number two, I think that when your heart, you, you start simplifying your life, you know what starts happening? Finances become less of an issue And now you're freed up to do the things you really want to do. You can say, hey, I can help this person. I can do that over there. Because you're freed up to be able to do that. How many think that's amazing? You are now part of the answer to the problems, no longer part of the problem itself. You're part of the solution to problems. Notice how this affects the entirety of our lives. You know, Jewish scholar, this is not a Christian scholar, Jewish scholar, Michael Fox. This is not Michael J. Fox, by the way. This is Michael V. Fox, okay? In describing the worthless person here, has there's various synonyms that are being used. And he says there the word man, or son of, son of, or son and daughter of Belial. That's the term that's being used here. The wicked person is a son of Belial. Now, how many know that's a New Testament term? Jesus called people that were doing what the devil was doing, sons and daughters of Belial. In other words, you're the sons and daughters of the devil. You're sons and daughters of evil. You're sons and daughters of wickedness. How many go, that's not a classification I want to be in? I I don't want that to be one of my classifications in life. I am a son of the devil? Are you kidding me? I want to be known as the son of God, right? I want to become like my father in heaven, not like the devil. But, you know, behavior begins to shape our lives. And then he goes on to describe, this is the term that's used in describing the rapists and Judges uh, 19.22 or the perjurers that had Nabal killed in 1 Kings 21. They're called sons of Belial. They're wicked people. They're doing wicked things. Wow, strong language. And notice it starts with the mouth. How many know our mouth get us into trouble? These people have distorted, corrupted, perverse mouth. They promote lies, they believe lies, and they're promoting lies. Is it any wonder that the Apostle Paul warns us to watch our mouths? Look what he says in Ephesians 4 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, you can imagine tomorrow you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I only want to say words that are going to benefit other people. What do you think is going to happen? You're gonna be comforting people, you're gonna be encouraging people. How many know you wanna be around people that lift you up? You know, some of you here, maybe you're struggling, you say, I don't have a lot of friends. Let me tell you, you start talking like this, I guarantee you're gonna have friends. People wanna be around these kinds of people. Notice the next one. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. How many like being around thankful people? Aren't they amazing? You know, then it goes in verse 15. But be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul must have been reading Proverbs. You know, it seems like he understands there's wisdom and then there's folly. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs from, from the Spirit, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. How many like being around happy people? You know, but how many really enjoy hanging around people who are critical and condemning and they're always complaining? Those are the people you want to hang with, right? No, wrong. That's not the people. So what am I saying to us? It's real simple. Get happy. Sing to the Lord. Walk around praising God, you know? Right? Think about what you're saying to people. You know, if you're going to, you know, you have a complaint, I'm going to tell you where to take it. Take it to the one who can do something about it. You know, take it to the Lord in prayer. Cast your burdens on him. Hey, Lord, I've got some, I've got some complaints. I'm going to the one that can do something about it. Most of the time we're telling people what our complaints are, what can they do about it? Nothing, you know, right? That's oh, fine, I'm just helping you. <laughs> then it says the eye, feet, and fingers. Verse 13 describes you know, these gestures of an evil person. Now the precise significance is embedded in ancient culture. In other words, scholars don't know what these things mean. Some of them think it's a hex, you know, a curse. You know, some of them think it's a signal for other people to do bad things. You know, Michael V. Fox thinks it's just a personality disorder, that these people are restless and got, they're, they're disturbed. They have personality disorder issues. I know. I'm just telling you what he said. I'm not saying, I, I don't know what it means. And they don't either. So what's the outcome of the scoundrel or villain? Verse 15, it says, Therefore disaster will overtake him, and in an instant he will be suddenly destroyed without remedy. How many think it's a scary thing? God keeps warning people, but eventually if they don't shape up, what's he going to do? He's going to deal with it. We need to be recognizing, you know, because this culture today, we have no fear of God. How many say that's true? You know, I was reading about David. You know, he wanted to bring the ark in. Remember that story? He didn't check the Bible, didn't find the operator's manual, didn't know how to do it correctly. He put that on a donkey, I mean on a cart. The thing moved. The guy reached out his hand to stabilize it. He got zapped. David said, and David was angry and he was afraid of God. You know, I was thinking to myself, how many of us are really a little bit, you know, have a little fear of God inside of us? Like, how can I do this thing? You know, God could really come down and do something about it. You know, we've all been told, oh, God's a loving person. Yes, he is a loving person. But I think if God showed up tonight, you know, in your bedroom, I can guarantee you, you won't be going, oh, this is so amazing. I I think you might be a little fearful at first. Because I've read the Bible. When angels show up, these supernatural beings, people don't walk up and go, hey, man, give me a high five. You know, I don't read that in my Bible. You know, it says they have to usually say words like, don't be afraid, you know, because we're not used to the supernatural realm. And here we have a description of the kinds of behaviors that God hates. This is interesting. God actually hates some things. You say, why does God hate this behavior? Because he sees how destructive and abusive it is towards other people. You know, God does love people. And when you and I violate other people, God doesn't get happy about that stuff. He actually hates that kind of behavior. So, let me just close the message here. So much to say and so little time to say it in, right? You know, we are actually living in a time of great challenge in our world. How many recognize that? And so, you know, the freedoms that we've enjoyed for so long are, are quickly disappearing from us. Does anybody know that? And our governments are actually, you know, I, I believe that the spirit of Antichrist, I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that term, the spirit of Antichrist is moving through people in high places to actually suppress the freedom of speech and and worship and we're moving towards legislating many of those things so that if you and I even would say things like to somebody who's struggling with sexual orientation or any of those kinds of issues and we say hey you know god can help you with that that eventually could be a fine of $10,000 and that's exactly what the city of the municipality of Edmonton wants to vote on next Tuesday night is that amazing? And the federal government is watching this because I've been doing some reading that they're considering doing this across the country. How many think that's, that's kind of scary stuff, isn't it? And so the very things that you and I enjoy tonight may disappear from us and we may ex- begin to experience a measure of persecution in this country. And then we're gonna, it'll be challenging, won't it? We'll have to walk with real wisdom then. So let's stand tonight as we close. We're gonna have a prayer meeting tonight, uh, tomorrow night at seven o'clock. We're gonna pray about that. I'm gonna share some scriptures that God's put on my heart to share. I can't be here. I, I'm frustrated. You know, I, I, you know, all of a sudden now, I'm going. I want to be at two places at one time. You know, how many of ever had that experience? I, I want to be at two places at one time. I only be at one. I've already had something scheduled way ahead of time, so I can't get out of that. But we have other leaders in our church said, Pastor, don't worry, we'll be here. More night praying about this. I said, good. I'll give you some verses God gave me. But let's just bow our heads for a moment. I want to pray with you. How many here would like to say, you know, Pastor, you know, I've struggled with financial issues. You know, maybe I wasn't instructed or maybe I just made some poor decisions there. I need help in that area. And I'm going to pray with you right now. This is not a condemning thing. This is like I've tried to lay out some ideas that might help you, you know, alleviate the debt problem. I think I've spelled it out. But I want to pray for you right now. Anybody here just say, yeah, can you pray with me, Pastor? I want to be debt-free. I want to get to that place in my life. I don't want to have, I don't want to be living in credit anymore. I want to get freedom from all of that pressure, that financial pressure that I'm living under. Okay, I want to pray for you. How many here say, you know what, Pastor? I was challenged tonight when I heard that, you know, that I need to be more prudent. I cannot make an excuse for not being more diligent and thinking further ahead. Maybe I'm struggling with laziness. You know what, but I, I don't wanna do that anymore. I wanna, I wanna carry the freight. I wanna be able to not only carry my weight, but I wanna be a blessing to other people. Maybe that's you tonight. Just raise your hand, I'm gonna pray for you. You know, I know it's a big admission. You know, hey, I struggle with laziness, but you know what, I'm gonna pray that God's gonna do a work there. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, you know what, I fall into some of those things, some of those characteristics that are wrong and evil. And uh, I don't wanna be defined by my sin. How many here say, I don't wanna be defined by my sin? I wanna be defined by being a child of God. I wanna be defined by the good things I'm doing. And I'm gonna pray right now that you and I would be a blessing to people. When pe- when pe- when you walk in the room, people would light up because they go, man, I like this person. They are such a blessing. They keep encouraging me and comforting me and they just are understanding and thoughtful and they care. I wanna be that kind of person. Anybody sign up for that? I got my hand up. I wanna be a kind of person when I I walk in the room, people go, I'm gonna be blessed, right? So let's pray. Lord, we just thank you tonight. Your word is so good. It's teaching us how to live a prudent life. Help us to live with greater self-control, with greater simplicity, with greater grace, with greater understanding. Lord, help us to be a greater blessing. I pray, Father, you'll give us strategies to, if we're struggling with our debt load, Father, I pray that you'll help us. to actually live with a simpler lifestyle. Help us to repay our loan, to become free from our financial pressures. I just pray to that end, Father. Help us to stop looking for the, the easy out, but rather the disciplined out. And there is a disciplined out that you have for us. And Lord, I know because I've walked through it myself. I've stumbled into this pitfall, and God, by your grace, you've led me out of it, and I'm free. I am free to be a, a generous person now, when I couldn't do that before. But now you've allowed me to, and I thank you for that. I pray tonight that you will help people in their struggles, Lord, t- to live this prudent, godly life. This path.